0: Welcome back to another edition of the fried egg podcast. Today's episode is our open championship preview. So we did five things. I think, I think Clayton's got to five things with uh, golf course architect, former European tour player and uh, golf commentator, Michael Clayton. So uh, Michael has played in three open championships at the old course. So, figured you know someone keen to golf architecture as well as the professional game would be perfect for this podcast uh thank you to mike for uh coming on it's always great to pick his brain on uh on the game of golf he he's got just a wealth of stories and, and history and uh and knowledge so without further ado here is our open championship preview with michael clayton clayton you're uh you're back. And we got the 150th open at St Andrews, the Old Course. I know it's a place that you love. And uh I figured it'd be a great time to bring you on to talk a little bit about, you know, the world of professional golf and I'm sure we'll touch on the Old Course, but tell me uh how many how many competitive rounds have you played at the Old Course uh in uh, professional golf rounds? Uh
1: two missed cuts and a make cut. So Eight. I made the cut in ninety, nineteen ninety. Missed it in eighty four. Missed it in ninety five. Three majors. Three majors. Yeah, that was it. So, and and I've never played the golf course outside of a, an Open week. I've walked it, but never played it. So I've never actually played it for fun. It seems like you got to go do that. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's kind of a train wreck of a course to play in the middle of the day when there are thousands of people out there, and just you know, when you've played it, when you in an open it's like playing it when it's just i mean it's the craziest place in the world to play golf it's not like you can go out there at four o'clock and be on your own you're playing in a four ball and it's six hours and there's balls going everywhere and in some ways i just enjoy walking it rather than playing it
0: so this is uh with it being there i feel like it's a really nice kind of punctuation on the year of golf. I think we've had really, really standout major championships, uh, this year. And and it's fitting that it's the 150th open and it'll be at St. Andrews. And for this, I, uh, I did our traditional preview here with, uh, five things about, uh, about the tournament that you're looking forward to. And, uh, why don't you, why don't you hit me with your first thing that you're, you're looking forward to, uh, Tiger,
1: because everyone wants to know the, the state of Tigers game. And we, I finished up watching, was it YouTube last night? or No, wherever it was, I watched that round he played at the McManus thing in Ireland. So Swinging looks good. You know, I just think he's the most compelling guy since Seve, who was the, you know, so it's, everyone's fascinated as to what he's going to do and the state of his game. Um, how the course plays is the Second most interesting thing is how's the, what's, it, how, how's it going to be affected by the equipment? Which is really a debate that's ramped up even more since the last open there. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a question in, you know, 2015. They were already playing the tournament on five different golf courses or four plus an out of bounds Himalayas, Eden, New, old and the 17 T's out of bounds. So, but that debate's only gotten bigger in the, in, in, in the intervening seven years, so it's it'll highlight where the state of the game is re-equipment. And so much of that is, the problem with that debate is that it's so dependent on, not dependent on, but people fixate on the scores they shoot. So if 19 under wins, like it did in nineteen ninety, it's a disaster because well, look, the course is too easy and obsolete and too short. Five years later, in ninety five, John Daly shot what five under, so five under one. All's right with the world because only five under one, but that's complete. You know, that, that depends on the weather. So, so it, you know, it's not asking the question of what the equipment's done to courses, including St Andrews and Royal Melbourne and Marion and you know the great old courses that. We're intended to play one way, but play another way because the ball goes so far.
0: Those two are, uh, are right there on bide. I'm, uh, you know, I'm very fascinated with tiger, uh, for this, this tournament. Obviously, you know, we didn't see him at the country club. Last time we saw him at uh Southern Hills, he made the cut. I mean, I think one of the things that has wowed me this year with tiger is just like the really resiliency to make cuts. And it kind of, makes me th- wonder about other guys that are in their primes at the peak of their powers that are missing cuts. And yeah. it's like this guy, I mean, he's got like one and a half legs and he's out there making making cuts and, you know, he's not playing any tournament golf outside of that. And then at, at Southern Hills, I mean, the weather turned and it just wasn't a real pretty third-round scene. And, you know, it makes me wonder about this tournament. Like, I... You know, part of me in my head, and this is, if this goes for the old course and and Tiger, is like are both of these courses kind of at the end of their championship day? Like, is Tiger and the old course kind of coinciding at the end of their championship days? Like, if if you know nothing meaningful is done with equipment, I, it looks like there might be something done with equipment. We'll see what it is exactly, but you know, are is Tiger's really major championship career could this this could be the end you never know at this point with his body um it would be a fitting 150th at at St. Andrew's place to say goodbye um I don't think he will necessarily this is all just speculation obviously but then also like with the old course like this is a place that is a you know it's a a temple it's a you know holy grail it's one of the you know, greatest courses in the world, maybe the greatest and, you know, historic championship courses in the world. And he, like you said, it's the number of places they have to move tees to, to, to fit championship golf in. And the way that championship golf is played there now is so far removed from what it was. You know, the question is, is it still a great open venue?
1: Well, it's a great, venue because the venue is more than just the golf course so is it a great you know the venue is the town so it's it's the best venue so is it the best course and does it offer up a suitable test well you know there are lots of short par 4s out there now there are lots of wet shots and it only has two par 5s which is uh, you know maybe maybe golf needs more par 5s because may, may, maybe that's the only way to test a driving a 2 on is to build more par 5s but you know it's it's I think it I would say reverse it and say this is what this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and forces the RNA to do something about the ball. I think I, you know my, I hope <clears throat> someone goes out there and shoots 58 and makes a mockery of the golf course. I hope Bryson drives it on the first hole and they can see the insanity of what they've allowed. To get out of the bag, you know. I mean, how they've let this equipment get to this point. When they, I mean, what scared? I think what scared them off was that was we had this ridiculous argument about grooves in ping irons that essentially made no difference to it. Certainly made no difference to how far the ball went. But that case spooked them so much that they just kept putting off, and you know, were too scared to ban the driver head size that they've been. Terrified by the threat of lawsuits from the ball manufacturers, and they've just done nothing for. This has been a problem for twenty years now. But I think at some point, I think at some point they're going to have to do something because you, you in America, will see it more than me because there are just because it's a numbers game. But you know that there are there's a ten year old out there and a twelve year old out there that's tomorrow's four hundred yard driver unless they do something. Because it's not going to just stop going further. And as I've long argued, the, the freak in one generation, and that freak now is, who is it? Is it Cameron Champ? Is it Nian Bauer, the South African kid? Is it Bryson? They're, they've always been the norm in the next generation. That's all. They've always become the norm. So how does the game manage a norm of 350-yard average drives? can't. It can't function or work. On, on any course st andrews or royal melbourne or carnoustie or augusta or no course can function when when the scale is that far out
0: how would you say what what hole out there or a couple holes have changed the most with modern technology from when you played it in the opens
1: well they have moved the tees back so far that you know, the, the, the 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 fourth is well, i mean i've played the fourth obviously since 1995, so for 25 years, but that tee's back so far now. That looks like such a long, incredibly difficult hole. uh, So I stand on the tee and go, how the hell do you play this with less than a drive and a two iron? But then you go and play with kids and and you you hit a good drive and they hit it 80 yards further than you do and you go, well, that's how they play it. So it's hard to, you know, unless you're out there watching them, playing them and seeing how they play it, it's hard to imagine how difficult or easy that hole is going to be. What can you do with holes like six and seven and you know nine and ten and twelve and sixteen and eight? And you can't make them any longer. They're just drives and pitches, drives and wedges. So you know it's unusual. If you were building a golf course now, you would never build as many short par fours as they build on the old course. I mean, one short, three short, six was short, seven, eight, nine, twelve. 18, 16, we're all kind of short par fours. So no one would compile a group of holes like that and put them under one course now, no matter how great they are. So it's I'm convinced they're gonna do something. Some point they're gonna do something about the ball, because they have to.
0: Yeah you know, at at some point something has to be addressed. What, uh, you know, with regards to the, with regards to the golf course, I know this is, you you know, what you consider the greatest golf course in the world to be the greatest golf course in the world. What's your, uh, what's your favorite memory or the one you think about? Like, is there a shot that you played in, in your majors there that you think about the most over the years? Like, is there a shot you remember the most? Uh, Well,
1: two, um, the first was the second hole in 1984. I, put, I pulled a drive over in the bunker way on the left. And the first lesson you should learn about links golf is if you're in a bunker, get out. And it was kind of a nice slide, a little on a down slope, not that high a lip. I can get there with a seven iron, straight into the face, nine iron, straight in the face, sand wedge out, sideways, triple. So I remember that as you know, the first, just get out it cost you a shot, get out. And the second was playing with it was a freak draw. The the draw in 1990 was supposed to be Payne Stewart, Bernard Langer, and Larry Nelson. Right before the tournament like on Monday. Larry Nelson withdraws. And I would I was the second qualifier. I'd played well at year on tour. So they stick me in the in the in the group.
0: Unbelievable.
1: So it's Stewart Langer Clayton like what's going on here this is like is like ridiculous so uh, Bernard and I were Payne was obviously playing really we finished second that week he was playing well Langer was not playing well I was playing well so we were we were both one under playing 17 on Friday and the cut was going to be even so I thought well I can make a bogey in a pound, I'll be fine end of the win three iron shot I flew it into the bank at the front of the seventh green and propped it, and ran up to about fifteen feet. It was like an amazing shot, and Bernard did pretty much the same thing. So we made fours there, parred the last, and the cut finished up going to one forty three. It was the first under par cut ever in a major, I think. So that was kind of a cool shot, but um, yeah, one good memory and one bad one. But it was it was it was fun to play with those guys. You, you kind of was a that was an unusual draw for me in a major for sure.
0: Yeah, what what was that like being in a major? You know it. Being we see it happen all the time where you know somebody WDs and you get out of that group. Do you remember like I, what was the difference in the feel of a major? At and I'm sure like you you had events where you were in high profile late Sunday pairings, but when it's a major championship, how is that different?
1: I don't remember really. I mean, I, again, you, you just kind of you're into what you're doing. I remember walking on the first tee, I was with Squirrel who was caddying for me, Squirrel who caddied for Jeff Ogilvie when he won the US Open. I walked on to the first turn, looked at Bernard, and I said, Shit, you guys must be nervous playing with me today. <laughs> but um yeah, it was they were great to play I mean, Payne was that it was it was a it was a really cool group to play with. Bernard was you know, they were two cool guys to play with. It wasn't like I felt out of place or you know, they, they didn't treat me any differently from they would have treated Larry Nelson and it was it was just it was fun playing with them. And there's always kind of you know, I don't know what it is, but there's always more energy or more something around a group like that, you know, partly because you don't want to make a fool of yourself and and you try desperately not to. And I played decently enough that, you know, I walked off the last screen and at least I didn't think I was a complete hack. But it was fun. And Payne played, I remember how beautifully Payne played. He was using that that whale Wilson driver and he played beautifully for two days.
0: The whale, I didn't think we were going to talk about the whale. Uh, But that's, uh, you know, uh, old school... Old school club that not everybody listening to this will be even be aware of. Uh, with Tiger, you know, we we kind of breezed over. How what what are your expectations? What do you expect out of Tiger this week? Uh, you know, and I I always preface this with saying anything he does would surprise me, but I'm curious what you th- what you think.
1: No, well, we, Shaq and I did a state of the game pod last week where I said, well, of course Tiger can't win, and he said, well, why can't he win? You go, well, you know, we've spent. I mean, I thought in 1996 it was, you know, there's no way this guy's going to make enough money to make a card for 1997. And of course, you know, he won twice. And so we've we've spent 20 years underestimating what he could do and how great he was until he, you know, until kind of St. Andrews and Pebble Beach. Well, well, Augusta in 97, it was, you know, that was the first time. But once he'd done... St. Andrews and Pebble Beach in two thousand. You could never underestimate how great he was and what he did. And it's, it's interesting to look back at his career now and you know understand that we lived through one of the you know the greatest eras. I mean the you know the Jones era, the Nicholas era, the Hogan era, and and Tiger. And it was you know we're all lucky to incredibly lucky to see him play, and, and play. I saw him play some inside the ropes a couple of times the last round at beth page in 2002 the last two days at Hoylake, and the and the singles at the at royal melbourne in the president's cup and it was you know golf beyond belief really only in my time only watching sevi was close to being as good
0: now for a quick word from our sponsor zero restriction at this point, I am uh, across the pond. I'm in Scotland, and I am geared up. I'm kitted out by zero restriction. They make uh, some of the best outerwear in the game, but it's more than just the rain gear. Obviously, they've been doing that forever. Uh, I remember as a kid having a ZR uh, pullover that lasted me forever. Uh, I think I still might have it at my parents' house, and probably was is still rain. Rainproof, uh, waterproof. So... They have pullovers, hoodies, they've got a new line of joggers that we're trying out. Really, we're we're just, uh, we're testing it out. And they are sponsoring our summer school in Scotland. So, if you use the promo code SGS25, you will get 25% off all your purchases at ZeroRestriction.com. 25% off is a substantial amount. So, if you've got a bandit trip, you've got a you know, a Scotland trip, or you're just looking to get ready for potentially fall golf, cooler golf, uh, and you want to save some money, uh, go with zero restriction, use the promo code SGS25, and it will get you 25% off your purchase at zerorestriction.com. Now back to Michael Clayton. A thing I'm watching is, you know, over the years, I think this goes a lot with the weather conditions, the courses, the architecture, the the firmness of the turf. The Open is an older older guys tournament. You know, we see a lot of older players win Open championships. If you go down the list, like the the average age of winner is a lot older. So that's something with 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 us in an unprecedented youth cycle. That's something that I would like to see. I, you know, is, is something I'm just watching. Is are we gonna are we gonna get a guy that like bags his second major or an unexpected, you know, add on to a two time major that's a little bit older in the in the tooth? Like a, uh, you know, that that's something that I'm watching this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, it always amazes me when I watch Adam Scott play. It's like, why isn't he still? I mean, he always looks like he plays so beautifully, and he's played. You know, a bunch of Opens. There's no reason why that course doesn't suit him. Is he the sort of old guy who could jump up and have a great week and win? And, and Kel Nagel won the Open there in 1960. He was 40 years old. And one of the most amazing stats ever in golf that no one ever, well, I don't even know about it, let alone talk about it. It was the fifth major he ever played and he was 40 years old. And he won the Open. So whilst he was old, he was, he had he, he was young in golf terms, in terms of and he was he top tender pretty much through the '60s in the Open.
0: Well, yeah, you just could see you could see uh, you know somebody just popping a, a win, and, and so it wouldn't be a surprise, right? There's so many great guys, great players, longevity type players in their like late '30s, early '40s. Adam Scott, uh, you know, you've got. Justin Rose, who's been playing good golf lately, you've got, you know, I, I don't think Sergio is going to do it. He hasn't done much of anything since he won the masters, but you look at that, that age group of players, even, you know, a Mark Leishman, he's not exactly old, but he's older, you know, and has played well at the, at the, at, uh, at St. Andrews, almost won in, uh, in 2015.
1: Yep. No doubt. I mean, Louis. I mean, Louis got, I guess he got a little lucky with the draw, but I mean, he still plays beautifully and, you know, there, there are, there are, as always, it, it's the, it's the course that throws up the, you know, the most number of possible guys who can win, really, because there are so many different ways to play it. And, and, and you know, Peter Thompson's view in 1995 was, he told me on Wednesday, he said, John Daly will win here because he'll hit, he'll just hit it over everything. And he did. And Daly's record in the Open to that point was terrible. But he found a course where he could hit it over everything, and he hit it over everything and beat Rocker and Michael Campbell. So so there was a the, you know, you look at Rocker, Campbell and Daly and Leishman, Johnson, and Louie. There were, you know, six guys who finished up, you know, threatening to win and playing off for an open in and you know they're kind of wildly different games, and you know, at that point they weren't the best players in the world, but they they played great golf in during the week so it's you know it's a we'll see
0: so so what's your uh,
1: what's your third thing well i think this is because um, i saw it because he posted it um decade how decade works there scott Fawcett. Yeah, because this is the ultimate disruptor this course for you know the, the mathematical formula of playing golf courses and it's you know at seven you know he, he put up a picture of 17 which was take driver and at 62 yards wide it's at two, 280 at 62 yards wide take a driver and aim it here so you know as much as I, I detest the fact that you can distill golf down to a mathematical formula I kind of understand that on most courses you can and this is the ultimate disruptor this golf course for his system but it'll be interesting to see how it works and, and how I mean, you, you probably won't know how many guys are using it, but you know who is, and you know Bryson probably is, well, Bryson is. So it's interesting to see how that plays out, how that, that formula, you know, c- can you play St. Andrews in a formulate way with a computer and a, and a, and a, and a Google map and a, and a protractor and here's how you play the golf course. Does it work?
0: Yeah, I I think one of the things that I'm curious about is the firmness of the turf and what that does. You know, obviously, I remember with Decade with the USAM ab- abandoned, you know, I, I think he, I think Scott uh, Fawcett sent a tweet out. It was like, this is a driver everywhere course, like, or something along those lines. You're going to hit driver everywhere. And then I was watching the USAM and it was irons everywhere because the firmness of the turf. And the way that ball just runs, you know, and that will be the interesting aspect of like, you know, mathematically, when you look at it, it's like, okay, I can't hit my driver this far. But we've seen in so many opens guys reach bunkers that they didn't think they could ever get to. In very crucial spots, like the 72nd hole of an, of an open where they hit it, you know, they're just pumped up and the turf's running and the ball gets to a bunker they never thought in a million years that they would reach. You know, that's the, the I think the equalizer with links golf along with the wind, you know, and, the, and what that does to particularly young players. And, you know, that mathematical not hitting different shapes of shots is this one stock kind of shot type of mentality.
1: Yeah, just tee it up and hit it as far as you can. And and it's, in in some ways, it's such a tempting place to do that because you can get so close to so many greens. Uh, The the ultimate case of, I mean, that bunker that Norman drove it into at Troon in the playoff, I played that week. The bunker was never a consideration. It wasn't remotely close to being in play. And because no one, almost no one walked back to that tee because that tee was so far back at Troon, Wayne Grady who I stayed with that week was in the playoff and as soon as Greg hit that drive Calc and I just said great shot and we just walked off it was just a great drive and couldn't believe where it finished it was just beyond belief that that thing went into that bunker so you're right that's that's the you know it's the mystique of the links and why they're so interesting and why they're you know a bunker that's you know the Ernie L story about those bunkers at Muirford on the fifth hole that why the hell are they there and then he comes around three days later and the thing straightened to the wind. Now I know why they're there. You know, so so it's, no, there aren't, it's golf like no other golf. It's like tennis on a clay court, which I never understood until Paul McNamee, a great tennis player, explained to me why clay court tennis was the equivalent of Lynx golf, why it was so much more nuanced than hard court tennis or grass court tennis and why it was the most interesting and the best form of the game. And he drew that straight parallel between clay court tennis and Lynx golf, which you kind of wouldn't think that. But he said, you, you know, you, you really find that who can play when you watch people play on a clay court and you really find that who can play when you watch people play on a Lynx golf course.
0: I think you know one thing. I'll I I I'll parlay off this this one of my things is is uh I've got Will Zeltouris, uh along with Rory McIlroy. These both these guys have three top tens in all three majors. Uh, Zalatoris obviously has been extraordinarily close the last yeah. two. Um, I think it, I I watched a ton of him him at uh at the uh the Country Club, and I did. I mean. I think in terms of of young talent, he's got the widest array of shots from Teter to green. Yeah. I think I just yeah. I I'm so impressed with his with his uh, striking. You know the uh, the the iron play that like of all the young players, I feel like if it gets really windy, he's the guy that I I actually like a lot because of the way he can control his trajectories and and different things. And obviously, I think. Some of that, you know, I I don't know how you agree, if you agree with this, but the other thing with wind, when it's windy, short game kind of becomes important. And and that could be, you know, a spot where like a guy like Scheffler thrives. But the, you know, the other thing with Rory on this point of the three top 10 guys is I, you know, I feel like Rory was really in the crux of the, the live stuff. The last two majors. Uh, between the PGA and the, the US Open. I mean, there the was very peak peak live and, and things have started to play out a little bit more. I think there's less pressure there. But also, um, I just don't think he's in the same position that he's in at the Masters and, and this. And and I don't know, something about this year, the way he's played, and it being the 150th at St. Andrews, like, makes me think that we're going to get a an all-time winner, um, you know, just something, you know, maybe it's the romantic of me, but like it feels like a Rory McIlroy win would be just apropos this week. I
1: think when we were talking about the five things, you you know, were, that, that are going to interest us this week, Rory's really almost at the top of the list with Tiger. What's, what's, I mean, I, I watched him, I haven't seen him play much. I've seen him play, I saw him play in Australia in fact, he played, he played in the Open when he was a kid, the Australian Open, when he was 16. But I watched him play, he was here in the 2014 or 15, I can't remember. In fact, he won, he buried the last and Adam bogeyed it and he beat him by shot. But I was astounded at how good he was. And he, was, he won four majors at that point, I think, and I mean, it's beyond belief that he hasn't won one since. I mean, how is that possible? And, you know, and we watch him play and it's like, how's he going to mess this one up? And, and surely you can't keep not winning if you're as good as that and you put yourself in that position. I mean, he seems like he's gotten around playing that miserable first round and taking himself out of it on Thursday. Like he's played some great opening rounds the last couple of majors. So I just can't imagine that Roy McIlroy finishes his career with four majors and not, not... I mean, I would bet on eight. So I just think he's that good a player, but you know how as each one, as each subsequent year and major goes on without him winning one, it's got it's got to be tough for him.
0: Well, that's the thing too. It's just the pressure that adds with every miss, you know, and every close call. And, and I think you know, like everybody was writing there, like you know, everybody kind of talked about how the Masters was such a big deal for him, finishing second and walking away happy. Like, he couldn't have walked away happy coming to his side. Like, you know, you know, like, that when you're a, that elite of a player, like, he, I know he said he was happy, like, you know, he shot his best round ever, but it was all the, it's always all the other things that, you know, you think about, you get done with a four-round tournament, and, you know, you remember every little micro mo- moment, and every time you just, you gave one away. And and I think that's been the big thing with, with Rory over the years, is that just the his game just doesn't seem quite as tidy as others in, in majors. And there's a, there's these lapses and these three hole stretches. And, but that being said, I, I do think he's playing as good of golf as he's played in a very long time. You know, he's, yeah. he's, you know, he's had some runs of great golf and this year has been one of those runs. And, and it just, it seems like the moment, like if I was going to pick an outright winner this week, I might pick, I think I've got to pick Rory. Um, I'm gonna have to pick somebody different for like my one and done that I'm in, but because I've already taken him, But like I like Rory this week.
1: Yeah, and he played. What he he played? He got caught in the wind. That was it. The Open Louis one where he shot 63 the first round, and then got got mm-hmm. the horrible start of the draw and shot a shot a high seventies in the second day and finished up, you know, that far behind. But it was only that one day that. Yeah, I mean, I just you know he's. I mean, his swing always looks great to me when you watch him play in Canada and you think, well, of course he's the best player in the world. But if he was the best player in the world, he would have won one major in eight years, wouldn't he? So that's why, that's why it's such a fascinating game. You know, it's, a, it's a conundrum of the game. I mean, how can, when, when, when Tom Watson walked off the 18th green in 1983, and, you know, if, if someone had said, that's the last major he's going to win, he would have been, what are you talking about? Because he's the best player in the world. He's 34 years old. Same with Arnold Palmer in 1964 Augusta. It was inconceivable that was going to be the last major he was going to win, as it would be inconceivable that the PGA that Rory won at Valhalla was you know if someone if someone when he walked off that green said in the dark that's going to be the last major that guy's going to win. It's like well you're completely crazy. Of course it's not.
0: I mean that's the thing too. That's the kind of I think one of the the fallacies that we fall into every time. We get a guy that wins one, you know, John Rahm at, at last year's U.S. Open. It's like, well, like could this guy win five majors? Like, is the media thing? And it's, you know, it's hard to win two majors. It's there are a lot of great players that don't get two majors. There are a lot of generational talents that get two. Like, look at Dustin Johnson and his career of majors. How's yeah. that guy only have two? You know, like it feels like he should have five or six. And he only has two. And and will he ever get another one? I don't, you know, I don't think he will.
1: I mean, how does Fred Couples have one? How do Fred Couples, Hal Sutton, John Cook, Bobby Clampett, Mark O'Meara have three between them? I mean, it was beyond imagination that, that, you know, my contemporaries, they were the best college players in America when I was growing up. And they, well, how is that possible? As good as they were. And Sevian Felda finished up with 11 between them.
0: It's so hard to win majors. And I yeah. think it gets harder when you go through these lapses, when you have the droughts. Like once, once in your mind, like I, it's one of those things, you want the young talents, you, you want them to pick one off early because then if they don't pick one off early, it's all of a sudden you start to get worried that it may never happen because of the scar tissue. That comes from coming close and falling up, falling short so often. Because you know, when you think about golfers, is like there aren't a lot of golfers that have more than a ten-year window of really good golf. For most guys, it's five years. Like you know, that of really great golf. And you know, the the people, the players with more of more than that window, they're they're just generational players. You know. Yep,
1: no doubt. It's a, the, the, golf tournaments are hard to win they're really hard to win you know it's easy to sit back and say he oh, should have done it. you know, it's like it comes down to that when you've got to get it done which shows how it only shows how great the great guys were Tiger the, the obvious one Tiger, Jones, Hogan Nicholas you know it shows how great that, that they could just pick them off and in, a part, in part they picked them off because they knew that that was what was going to happen to the other guys and very often it did
0: um so we both uh i think we've both dispensed of four i'm guessing that we probably share a fifth here we've we've shared almost all five we didn't talk about these before um okay and uh this is, uh i'm guessing live is is on your list is the fifth one the uh, live tour and the pga tour and and what might happen that week or did you did you keep it off
1: i i, I... No, I kept it off. I'm so over it. I just, I think history will, in 10 years, will know how it's played out. I don't think anyone has any idea how it's going to play out. It is what it is. I don't know. I don't don't think, history's going to, I think there'll be a whole lot of unintended consequences. Hopefully one of them is the PGA Tour gets out of November and December and lets the rest of the world have some time to play their own tournaments in their own countries without destroying the I mean, the Australian tour has been destroyed by the wraparound tour. And, and not entirely that, but the fact that Leishman and Smith and Cam Davis and, and our, our best players are kept behind after school to play because they want to get off to a good start the following year has kept them out of playing in Australia. And it's just trashed our tour. You know, so if one of the unintended consequences is the PGA Tour gets out of November, December, that would be a great thing. And I, I've long argued because I was, a, you know, I was a disciple of pretty much everything Peter Thompson ever thought and wrote was that there should be a great tour outside of the United States. And that was what, that was what he tried to start. My bitch with Greg is that Greg's twice now done it for the benefit of Greg and what Greg thinks should happen. Peter was doing it to try and create jobs for players outside of the united states and he started the asian tour basically he skipped the u.s masters one year to play the indian open he played the european tour the japan tour the australian tour and the asian tour primarily as the best non-american player for 15 years and brought those tours to life really because he he and kelnagel were the big stars in australia and they you know they've created those tours and, and golf outside the United States, When otherwise who knows what would have happened. So the best thing that could happen for the game would be a great world tour. You know, everyone's argument is the source of the money and the number of players that are playing it. If you're going to have a great world tour, it can't be 48 players, it has to be 150 players.
0: That's I mean, I think that's a uh, a wonderful I think that's one of the holes of 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 live is obviously the small player field like if the bigger, you know, I think they have to have a feeder tour. They have to have a lot of movement up because otherwise you'll just get guys up there that are that are dead weight like, you know, you, you nobody would want to see, uh, you know, Two years play out of a guy losing his game, you know, and just being yeah. at the bottom of every leaderboard every week and wondering why he's there. But I think one of the bigger things uh, with live this week is is just like, is this the is this the last normal major championship? Really? Right. Like what? What are exemptions mm-hmm. going to look like next year with the world golf rankings and everything? Like, you know, a lot of guys that we're used to seeing a majors might not be exempt into majors next year.
1: Yeah, because, yes. So the biggest question, one of the biggest questions is do they give them, do the, do the World Golf Rankings give them points? So if they don't, clearly, clearly the guys who are not otherwise exempt, like DJ's exempt, obviously, for a bunch of years and Bryson, I guess, but Kepka, but the guys who are just, once they're top, once they're out of the top 50, how do they get back in? You know, that's the question. But Rory, and Rory hinted at it, but, but at some point, is there a compromise and everyone kisses and makes up and who knows? I mean that's why it's so interesting. I think. So what's your what's your fifth thing? Um, if I was an Australian, it would be on a whole how do the Australians play because they've always there's always or generally been an Australian in there with a shot to win. So which one of them is it? So that's purely out of self interest. But you know Cam Smith, Scott Leishman. Um, we've got a bunch of guys playing this. I should know. Matt Griffin, who qualified from Asia, sorry, the tournament. No, 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 the Vic Open, the Victorian Open. Here, got three spots, which was kind of bizarre because uh, because we didn't play an Australian Open last year, so so they gave those spots to the Victorian Open. So Matt's from Melbourne, a friend of mine, so he's playing. So you know, from a purely selfish point of view, my interest is in how the Australians play.
0: That uh, Camp Smiths. I think one of the mo- more fun, uh, you know, top ten players in the world to watch. You know that it, it, he gets it done differently. He's obviously added a ton of distance. He's gotten so much better with the with the striking. But that that uh, that short game, you got to think with the firm conditions, tight turf, that's a that's a good spot for Cam Smith. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's a uh, remarkable. I, I I saw him win the Australian Amateur. He was five down after fourteen holes in the morning and. You know, the kid he was playing looked so much better, hit the ball further, better swing, just look can wasn't that impressive. Cause we only watched him for fourteen holes and go to go five down. By the time he walked off the sixteenth green in the afternoon, winning three and two, when you kind of pulled apart how he played, it was incredibly impressive. It just didn't look that impressive. And he's just been the same way his whole career. He just doesn't he doesn't look like Rory or Kepke or he just doesn't look obviously Greg Norman or seven doesn't look obviously impressive but if you really watch him play and study how he plays he's incredibly impressive and he keeps doing it. So uh, who's your
0: pick to win?
1: I think Rory. I mean I I, I mean I, but I always pick Rory. Because I just cuz he always looks like the best player to me and it's always like surely this is you know surely this is going to be the one. And I and I think you know we're all guessing it. It was it was much easier in the 70s, this is, a I sound like an old bitching guy here, but it was much easier in the 70s when the Open pretty much identified the best player in the world every year because it was Persimmon and Ballada and, still, and it was hard to play in the wind and only the very best players won. golf was the best player in 73. Uh, Jack was always the best player, so he was always there. Trevino was playing the best golf in 71. Miller was... Coming at the end of that amazing US Open 73, 4, 5, 76, but he was the best player in 76. And, you know, so if you're picking the best, who's, I mean, who's the best player in the world now? It has to be Rory, doesn't it? He always, I mean, Scheffler's number one, but is he the best player in the world? I mean, I, mean, I, I know you, you, you watched him play at Brooklyn and said it just doesn't look that the ball comes off his club. It's just not that impressive, right? i mean, I have only ever seen him play on t v It's like how's this guy how, how how's this guy the best part in the world but he is
0: that's you know I said that, and then somebody was telling me somebody was telling me that it's because he uses tailor made clubs that that that's the sound but it, i when I listen to somebody else playing tailor made clubs it doesn't sound like that it it just like it's this weird it sounds like he hits him fat almost like it, it's like fat and clunky and then it ends up like four feet away from 220 and you're like wait like is that ri-? like I, it's funny I got texts from some other some caddies around yeah. the tour that were like dude I totally know what you're talking about like you know he you hear him hit the ball and it's like you you think he like toe hooked it into the into the junk and it ends up 10 feet and you're like wait how did that – but, yeah, I – you know, if I was going to say who's – I think Justin Thomas impresses me the most. Yeah. Justin Thomas and I would say I, – I think Zalatoris outside of putting really impresses me too. Like, those two guys I think are on a different level when it comes to their shot-making capabilities in terms of being yeah. able to really control dis, distance, height, shape – Everything. They got all the shots in their bag. Yeah.
1: And of course, if you don't you know you've got to see them play to see what they're like. Well, I, I watched Bobby Clamp. I played in fact I played with Clampett down here in 1981 and he was he, they kinda some I've never seen Zelatorus play, but in some ways they seemed like the same player. And I watched Clampett play in I eighty mean, one. He was a flusher. He just crashed it. Beautiful player. I mean, he was gonna be there. You know, he was going to be an unbelievable start. Yeah. And, you know, it went away. But, you know, they almost, you know, kind of thin, Californian kids, blonde hair, great hitters. So, and as bad as Zalatoris' short punning stroke, looks, he doesn't miss that many, does he?
0: No, no, not anymore. I mean, I think I think one of the other things I really like about Zalatoris is, is, is his swagger, you know? Yeah. Like he, he what do you see? You see him, the way he moves, the way the way he reacts like it it doesn't he never gets too high or too low and and it just he's got you know he honestly has that that cocky that quiet cockiness that arrogance that so many great players have like where where they know they're better than the the guys they're playing with but they don't they don't say it but you can tell when they the way they move around that they're better players like it's just you know like I you see you're hard to talk to because you were you know growing up you were probably one of the better players always but you know it reminds me of when you're in junior golf and you knew like the great the great player in the state is is hey is, is is on the putting green and just the way they move around to putting green versus everybody else on the putting green and I think Zal Torres kind of has that mojo about him where he knows he he talked about how he believes. At, at Brookline, how he believes he belongs there. I kind of read into that uh, as him saying, "I know I'm better than most guys out here."
1: Yeah, and it's just when you're that, you know, the evidence is there. You you, you watch the shots you hit, and you watch the other gu- shot, the, the the shots the other guys hit, and you can just see that you're better. Now, was it Bobby Jones? Who's, was it Jones who said that? It's always good to have a a silent or a un- unsaid contempt for the ability of the other man you know and I mean and Sevi was like that because Sevy could Greg they knew they were better because they could they could see the shots they could hit that the other guys couldn't hit.
0: It's why the majors are the most fun
1: yeah they are and it's why the, and it's why the game would be better if it went to better courses more often. Yeah, you, know, you know, we can see how much better the golf was at, you know, Augusta Southern Hills, the country club, and presumably the old course. You know how how great the golf is because the because the stage is so great. You know, you go to the average PGA Tour course or the or the you know, Mount Juliet and go, "Well, okay, you know, it's just it's a place to play golf and it's a nice golf course, but it's not really doing it." But, you know, we're preaching to the choir here, but, you know, it's, you watch Tiger play at Royal Melbourne in the President's Cup. When Tiger was old at 2019 President's Cup and he wasn't playing much golf at the time and he was clearly the best player there b- because the course showed off the things that he could do that the other guys couldn't. That's why you need the great stage. And that's why golf needs to stop playing down the motorway for $25 million or $10 million. It needs to start going to better golf courses. And it needs to start regulating the equipment so you can go back to better golf courses and they're, and they're relevant again. So, you know, you know, so they're the... That along with... So the equipment and the architecture and live and, and the compromise that we've got to make... all the, the compromise that the game's going to have to make to manage those three things that are, the, are the most important... Questions of the next ten years, really, and it's going to take people with a high golf IQ to manage it. Not manufacturers and not administrators, but you know, administrators listening to people with high golf IQs as to why this needs to be controlled, and someone needs to ins- tell the PGA Tour why they need to go to better golf courses, and not just the same formulaic thing week after week. Because I don't know about you, but so many of my friends just say. I just don't watch golf anymore. I'm, I'm I'm over it. I'm so bored with it. When's it interesting anymore?
0: Yeah. I think I mean I think that's the that's kind of where it's headed when it when it becomes so homogenized and you know every week's the same on the PGA Tour. I think that's the the kind of the that's what they've uh, you know they tried to add all this and they thought, "Oh, make it uniform would be a good thing." But reality what they were doing is stripping away the history and and the quirk and the the neat things about a week in week out stops on tour. And, and that's where they find themselves now with, you know, a, a huge competitive threat. And, and as you yeah. said, I, I can't add anything more to that. That was a beautiful closing statement. That's the great Mike Clayton. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and talking about the, the old course and, and the open and, uh, and we people could find you on Twitter and on Instagram uh, you, your writing is uh, on Golf Australia uh, mostly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just all time, all time golf mind. You're one of the golf minds that that the administrator should be talking to. They should be. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday podcast. Uh, that was our preview for the open championship early this week for the open. I've got a, a special episode. I think it'll be really neat. It's going to, we're going to go in depth on uh, preparing for the old course with a player and a caddy. So I'll let some more details come out later, but uh, really excited about that episode And uh, I'll also probably give some thoughts on the old course of first time visiting in there. So thank you to Meg Atkins for producing and editing this podcast as well as Fridays. Um, She's doing an awesome job. Thank you, Meg. And a quick reminder, we have some open championship gear. I hope there's still some there. We've got tartan Seamus head covers and yardage book covers, as well as ball markers with a special Saint Andrew's logo. And then we have t-shirts. We have t regular t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts with a uh, a cool illustration on the back as well as our Saint Andrew's logo, Friday egg logo. So, you can get those at proshop.thefriday.com and thank you for listening to the Friday egg podcast.